0: I would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. All opinions and discussions on the podcast are purely individual experience, so please consult a doctor or medical professional for more information. Welcome to the Shake It Up show, a podcast in partnership with Shake It Up Australia Foundation for Parkinson's Research, where we speak to people whose lives have been impacted by Parkinson's disease and hear their stories. My name is Amy Louise Ruffle. I'm an actor, comedian, podcaster, and most importantly, a proud Shake It Up Australia ambassador in support of my dad who lives with Parkinson's. My guest on this episode lives with Parkinson's and has recently been at fundraising up a storm with a karaoke night to raise money for Shake It Up Foundation. To tell us more about that and her story, please welcome Joanne Cahoon.
1: Welcome, Joanne. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, so I came to be here because of a karaoke night. It's just been the gift that keeps giving. It's just been fabulous. So... Having the karaoke night and raising the thumbs wasn't something I had planned to do. It was a spontaneous thing. I actually rang up ABC Radio and bid on a prize, which was a karaoke night with two of the presenters, Sarah McDonald and Suzanne Hill. And Suzanne was filling in for Sarah in the, on the morning show, and I was driving over to ARC to do my exercise class, and I rang up and I thought, I look, the bid's at $3,000, which is quite a lot. And I thought, and there was about 15 minutes to go on the show. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just up the bid and somebody else will take over after that. And I'll have a plug for Parkinson's and all that sort of stuff. So I rang up and I said, oh, $3,500. And Suzanne, and they were doing Love Shack and all this sort of stuff. And I thought, oh, that's my song. I like that song. And Sarah and I hadn't done karaoke before, and I said it was FIFA. Part. And then all of a sudden, Suzanne said, oh, you win. <laughs> I said, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> anyway, it just went from there. And it's just been absolutely amazing. So that was, they were direct donations that we got, but on the night we took a lot of cash. So that money went to Dance for Parkinson's, who don't have any fundraising arm at all really so well they're they're very
0: lucky to have people like you that do the fundraising for them it sounds like it was a fun night and a very successful night
1: well the other thing that came out of it was that there was this fellow there from a choir so I used to work up at Mount Druitt and there's a voice called there's a, a choir called One Voice with with One Voice and that's what they're called and they they do choirs in quite a lot of areas across Sydney and this one because I was part of that choir before COVID I I thought, oh, and one of the girls suggested, oh, we can come and sing So, because they're looking for opportunities to do that. But one of the guys who is a singer in that choir, his name's Richard, and he he sang two songs, and you could have heard a pin drop when he was singing, and he's got dementia, and he lives with dementia, and the choir is helping him with his dementia. And so he's been featured on ABC Radio Sydney, and And then somebody else got in touch with me who does Neptunes, which is an author Probus tunes, and they go to places and do cabaret acts and things like that for the oldies in there um yeah, so and then we're going to have another karaoke night, which is gonna be a fun raiser. <laughs> we're gonna take the d out and just just do fun.
0: Music's pretty powerful, isn't it? Like it's such a healing thing, but it's such a joyous thing too. So incorporating, I know we spoke to Sandra, a previous guest, and she said how music was such a big part of um, her life and her happiness. So I love the idea that we're spreading the fun that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. And look, people were so surprised at how much fun they did have. People, You didn't have to get up one by one and perform a song like you were in the school choir or something like that. So people got up in tables and groups and, you know, when, when there was about 15 people singing to the Love Shack and, you know, these boots are made for walking and all this sort of stuff. So,
0: <laughs> Oh, that sounds yeah. fantastic. Well, we're very grateful for the fundraising efforts, so thank you for that. Yes. Now let's get into the chat about Parkinson's. I'd love to go back a little bit and talk to you about what you remember first about feeling a change in your health. You know, what were those initial symptoms? Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, 10 years prior, um, yeah, so I've been diagnosed since 2013. And what took me to my GP in the first place was that I my, lost my arm, swinging my right arm. And it just was like, and I said to a friend of mine, she she just grabbed my arm and started swinging it. And she said, there you go, there you go, it's, it's swinging. But I couldn't brush my teeth properly. I had a bit of a tremor when I was putting a coffee cup on the table. Um, I'd lost my sense of smell and all that sort of, just the regular stuff, yeah. And so yeah, was so the just...
0: diagnosis of Parkinson's a challenge or was it pretty quick for you?
1: Oh, the diagnosis wasn't a challenge, no, it was very quick, yeah, because okay. I'd had breast cancer in the Easter beforehand, so hmm, it was a big year that year. <laughs> yeah, there was
0: a bit going on. My goodness. So how are you doing yeah. at that point in time, I guess, mentally having two pretty challenging health complications? Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, the breast cancer had sorted itself out and I'd had surgery and chemotherapy and I'd lost my hair. So that happened. And so by the time I got the diagnosis, of, uh, I was feeling fine apart from these symptoms. I thought, oh, it must be some weird you know, a physiotherapy thing that I need to get sorted out or, you know. So, but at that stage, I was feeling pretty good. I was getting a lot of fatigue. But when I think back on that, I thought, oh, you know, I had light, low iron, being a, you know, menopausal woman and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah.
0: So once you did get that diagnosis, were you able to go on medication that made the symptoms go away? Or what has the sort of management been since that diagnosis point?
1: Well, I was somebody who'd never taken medication before, so I don't have high blood pressure, I don't have any heart conditions, I've got a good weight, all that sort of thing. So I thought, oh, I don't want to take medication. So overcoming my mental and mental barrier to taking medication was the biggest hurdle about being dependent on a medication. But once that's and the neurologist, my neuro, the fourth neurologist that I saw. He just said, Look, you know, he said, There's nothing to be gained by not taking medication, nothing at all. So he said, Just try it and see how you go. So I took it, and then that was it. <laughs> I was on the matapah.
0: <laughs> it's funny because yeah. we sort of can have a perception that it's a weakness or a failure of some sort to need to rely on yes. it. Whereas it's like, no, 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 it's just getting your body back to a more status quo.
1: Yeah, that's exactly how, yeah, that's how exactly what you how you need to think of it, yeah.
0: And so that was 2013. Flash forward mm-hmm. 10 years, my goodness, time does fly, doesn't it? What are your symptoms like now? What are the, the
1: good days and the bad days? Ah, Look, I, when you asked this question to Clive, I loved the way he said it's an hour by hour or, you know, you don't have good days or bad days. <laughs> well you can but um but more to the more it's more about managing in between your doses of medication because you've got you know four or five hours and you think hmm (laughs) um I got to the 10 year stage and my neurologist had primed me about four years earlier for DBS surgery so four years earlier he 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 had started talking to me about that and I said oh no way there's no one's going to drill holes in my head and um, but yeah, they did.
0: <laughs> so so, what is DBS surgery for someone that isn't familiar with it?
1: Yeah. It's called deep brain stimulation surgery and it's where they put wires in your frontal lobe and there's a an electric current goes into your frontal lobes at both sides and direct and there's a um an electrical stimulation there and they don't know how it works, but they know it works. So don't I don't know that they know why it works, but it does.
0: So that's a pretty, I would say, like intrusive uh, surgery. You said he was sort of building you up to it for four years. Was it something that you just jumped at or did it take a little bit of time of contemplation to get to a place where you were ready to do that?
1: Yes, it took four years. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it was just, but you do get to a stage where the dyskinesia, which is the side effect of having taking medication so you wiggle and you wobble and ugh, you know you're all you can't stand still there's no calmness in your life because of that so i thought and that's what they say it will get rid of when you have the dbs surgery which doesn't sound like a lot but the first time i sat still for an hour through a presentation of something i just went to the person beside me i just went ah oh, i have sat still for an hour and i felt so peaceful it was just really 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 cool yeah I can still remember that that was just um that was pretty good.
0: So the results have been really life-changing for you?
1: Pretty much I mean it was a year ago um a year ago in February late February that I had the surgery so last for the first 12 months was pretty tough I'd wake up yeah I had a huge emotional roller coaster rides you know I'd be very, I'd be. Oh, I'd wake up crying. I'd go to bed crying, and you know, and I was really angry with the world. And and it's such an invisible disease that people can't see what's happening inside you. It's not like you've got a broken leg, and you know, your arms are still there, and and they should work because you've got them, and you're still you know mentally acute, able to do stuff. But uh, just you know, uh, the slowness that goes with it is just, um, yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting world to live in.
0: Oh, it's so hard. I think a bit like you're saying with the medication and our perception to it, we as a general society still we're getting better with invisible diseases, but still, we can understand a broken leg or a scratch, but have a real disconnect between understanding issues with the brain because you can't see it. Yeah. people don't understand it, they fear or judge it before they want to have empathy for it, and so it's really, really hard if your issues are inside and not on the outside.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yes, yes.
0: Jumping back to yeah. the actual surgery, sorry to um, press on about no, it. Okay. It's um, a, a treatment that a lot of people sort of get offered and don't know um, a lot about the personal experience of it. The actual surgery, how long were you in hospital? What
1: was the physical recovery from that? Life, point? okay. Well, so I was at Westmead, I went to Westmead Private and so the surgeons, the surgeons, Professor Aula, and he's got a huge reputation. Like he's everybody you say, they just go, oh yeah, he's such, he's so good. And my neurologist, Dr. Mahant. So they're a team. They've worked together for ten years on this surgery. So I felt quite confident. You have to have an MRI. You go in. They've got a DBS deep brain stimulation nurse who checks in on you prior to the surgery. Because you've got about four visits that you have to complete, and you have to be eligible for the surgery. So there's different conditions that you need to um, tick off. So that was all good, and I've got a rechargeable battery which will last me 15 years. <laughs> so they thought that that was worth me worth doing because I was. I mean, I mean, they must have thought I had 15 years in me at least. <laughs> um, so you have the surgery. Well, I shaved my head because I'd already done it when I had the chemo for the breast cancer. So I knew that that wasn't going to be such a big deal. And the anaesthetist said that that helps them because you know they don't have to worry too much about what they're doing there. So that was good. I suppose you're in and out of, you are. People say you're conscious for the, because they have to drill into your skull. So anyway. Let's not put this on, I don't think, because yeah. <laughs> I, might. I think it's a, it's the sort of conversation that you have with your neurologist. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have and to guess,
0: details about the actual procedure, but I guess are you in hospital for a long time
1: afterwards? How oh, could you yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so you're in hospital for a week and when you come home you can't drive for six weeks or ten weeks or however long. Yeah. So, yeah, and after that. And it takes 12 months to settle into the DBS surgery. For okay. your brain to adjust, and all the rest of it, yeah, and you've got these two bumps here, and you've got this wire coming down here, and there's a battery in your chest, and it sits there, and they put that there because if you need a pacemaker, you've got to have that on the other side and um but yeah, it um, look, you get to a stage where the medications everybody, I think with Parkinson's will get to us as far as I can tell, get to a stage where the medication isn't. Doing what it should do because your fluctuations are too great. So, you, you, your medication works and then it drops down after two hours instead of three or four hours. And then you've got to wait or you take it earlier and then you're taking more medication and then you're doing more flipsy flopsy all over the place. So, um, so they've got three, I think there's about three or four different adjuncts to the medication. So, there's the deep brain stimulation surgery. There's a couple of ports you can put in your tummy so it's directed straight to you into your body, and that's a continuous flow as well but I didn't want to do that because I thought the idea of looking after something like that when my arms don't work so well, I thought oh no
0: <laughs> yeah, it's tough like this is the conversations that we're having dad's having with his neurologist at the moment because um, he's at that oh, point yeah. where medication isn't really controlling yeah. the symptoms like it used to and it's tough because I think both of the options that he was offered, one is the deep brain stimulation and he doesn't feel like he wants to do that. But the idea of having a port and all of the work and issues surrounding that is quite an overwhelming con- concept for him too. Um, which mm-hmm. And I believe there's like a third one that's being, like it's in the tri- final trial stages and it's just a little sort of circle that would be similar to the, the port one, but a far smaller attachment. Yeah. So I think he in his head is trying to hang out for that, because I think he thinks it would be a little less cumbersome having a small... I saw,
1: I saw somebody with that the other day, and they're they've on the trial at Westmead for it, and she, had, she was diagnosed at 19. <gasps> wow. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. And she'd been... She had... She's in her 50s. She's 53 now. Oh, she doesn't look it, but she... Um, and she has... She said before, she said this thing has revolutionised her life, um, and it's in a tummy. Yeah. And I think, is there anything attached to it? I think there is something attached to it. And she has to wear a belt and everything with it. But she said it changed her life as well. But the, I mean, I, I saw the saw the podcast with your dad. Um, I listened to what I mean. And um, I can't remember how old he is. But look, it is something. I mean, who wants their head drilled into? <laughs> look, I think it's. I think it's a much less invasive procedure once it's done, and it can take a while to to get used to it. And you have to really give yourself 12 months to get used to it.
0: And you are just post that 12 month point now. You mentioned yeah. so you're feeling like you've settled into that, and the the physical yeah. has changed
1: for you. Yeah, I've, I look. I went there the other night. I went there because I only see my neurologist every six months. Um, and post-surgery, they've got a nurse who looks after you and you can ring them up. But, I mean, you know, something happens one day and you can't ring anybody up and or you ring them up and they can't get back to you for a week. So that post-follow-up and getting an answer to your questions straight away is sort of like, <laughs> Like my voice is a bit gravelly at the moment, and what's the time, 9 o'clock? So I'm not due to take a Medicaid. So if I if I took some meds, probably at 10 or 11, my voice wouldn't be so gravelly. Because normally it's not this gravelly, but anyway, maybe I'm just not used to talking again.
0: (laughs) For what it's worth, I think you have a wonderful voice for the audio meeting. (laughs) As we're discussing, we're always very conscious of our own voice and face and all of that, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. So what's something that you've learnt along the way, jumping away from surgery for a second, um, that you wish that you had known earlier? A little tidbit you might have to pass on to someone who's in their Parkinson's journey.
1: Uh, well, I think anybody anytime anywhere needs to do things as they want to do them and don't put it off like don't put off doing something and think, "Oh, yeah, I'll do that when I retire, but do it when you can, just just get things done and I'm so grateful that I have done lots of things that I wanted to do because I couldn't do them now, like I couldn't go canyoning or I couldn't go on you know huge bike rides or all that sort of thing, and even uh, one of the doctors said make sure you try and get everything in order in the first five years that you diagnose." diagnosed, but I think probably 10 years is, is a good stretch. Um, I can still travel on my own, but only interstate. Um, I wouldn't try and go overseas on my own. I mean, not that people really do travel overseas on their own anyway, but um, what else? Um, I think probably really keep in touch with your body, like really know your body, like understand what's different about your body. When I said, and, and that's all really good information for your doctors as well because my neurologist said, he. I said, oh, I'm being a bit pedantic, aren't I, you know, saying this, that, this, that and the other thing, you know, this toe's hurting or that toe isn't or, or this has changed or that's changed and it sounds like really Silly things, or oh, what's the word? Um, anyway, he said he, he 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 said it was really good that he said he wished more people could be as in tune with their bodies and give him the information that he knows to see how you're progressing and where things are happening for you.
0: Well, if the worst thing is that you've given too much information, you know that's never going to be a problem. It's better to have it all on the table and let the it, like the professional yep. be the one to decide what is important yes. pertinent information
1: yeah and I think if you don't if you don't feel comfortable with whoever you first go to see go and see somebody else and it doesn't matter how long the waiting list is because you only ever see them every six months anyway practically <laughs> so yeah just go for it and do your exercises You've got to exercise. You can't get away from that as much as what you don't want to. Now that it's winter.
0: <laughs> it gets harder, doesn't it? But that is good advice for anybody listening. We have to move our bodies. It only helps.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah.
0: We were off record uh, talking a little bit about the companion card system, which I think is something a oh. lot of people don't know. So I'd love for yep. you to share your experience with that before we wrap up today.
1: Okay. Uh well I know in Sydney if you go to the opera house you've got to have the actual card that you apply through the social services New South Wales. So I guess in other states it'd be a little it'd be the state body for that. And yeah, and, and you'd fill in the form that's online and it's called the companion card. And that allows you to have a ticket, a free ticket for your companion to accompany you to Venues where you think you may need assistance.
0: Yeah, it's Getting a fantastic there or... thing. And I, I know that we didn't know anything about it for the longest time. And, you know, you often don't go to sporting events or to the theatre, like you said, because it's just maybe a little bit too much to get to and from. But if you've got that person yeah. there to support the experience, it's fantastic.
1: It is. Yeah. 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 So I did, um, I went to see something at the State Theatre. But, and I just, when I rang up, I just said, And they said, oh, yeah, that's okay. And I didn't need to show a card for that. But, yeah, I mean, they're really careful that you don't rort the system, but, yeah, I don't think people will.
0: (laughs) No, I think it's there for the people that need it, so a good asset to know that's out there for you to investigate whether you are eligible for a companion card. Yes,
1: that's right, yeah.
0: Well, thank yes, you so much for joining us today. It's been so informative and interesting, and I can't wait to hear about when the next karaoke night is on. I'll have to take I it can tell you up. now.
1: Oh, fantastic. Okay. It's on It's on the 9th of June, North Epping mm-hmm. Bowling Club.
0: Beautiful. Well, everyone, book your flights in now. Get yourselves up to North Wales. <laughs> there will be another amazing night.
1: And you'll get to see hear Richard sing, I hope. Richard Te- Hayeti, he's a Maori person with dementia yeah he are oh, absolutely gorgeous voice absolutely 9th of june it's a friday night seven thirty at the bowling club if you live interstate
0: i'm sure there's a way that you can uh, get on the <laughs> Up australia foundation website and send your donations along anyway but have yes. a great time i hope it's a wonderful and successful evening and we appreciate you, you the podcast today okay thank you Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Shake It Up Australia funds groundbreaking Australian research that aims to slow, stop and cure Parkinson's disease. And they need your help. To support Shake It Up's vision of a world without Parkinson's, head to shakeitup.org.au forward slash podcast. Together, we can find a cure.